What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolves, see? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Weekly Real Podcast. My name is Jeremy. And my name is Ken. And today we're going to be talking about the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, but before we go into that, uh, we're going to start off with our podcast ritual where we talk about one notable movie or TV show uh, that we watched pretty recently. So since it's been a, a, a couple weeks, how many? Um, yeah, it's been a couple weeks, it's right? Two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. So, uh, have you watched anything kind of interesting in the last two weeks? Yeah, actually, uh, just kind of following up on uh, some previous episodes, you know, I've been, I actually was able to catch up on a lot of things. So, uh, the first thing I uh, caught up on was The Boys. I really binge watched it uh, last weekend, especially since it was, uh, you know, the holiday weekend. And uh, I'm loving it. Uh, I'm liking it so much that I started just another, you know, background rewatch where i can have it on in the background while i'm eating and kind of doing other things and then um it's it's just really enjoyable and i'm really looking forward to uh season three because i feel like they set up the season three storyline really really well in the season two finale without getting into to too many details um also caught up still caught up with the uh mandalorian um, I actually thought that the latest episode, The Jedi, was the best of the series so far, in my opinion. Uh, no major spoilers here, uh, but all I will say is that there was one key scene in that film and I, uh, that gave me major Kill Bill Volume 1 vibes. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about, Jeremy? I think so. Are you talking about like nearing the end of the episode? Yes, that yeah. same, the, just like the setting, right? It was pretty cool the way they, like the cinematography throughout the whole episode was uh, probably the best it's been. Yeah, that was a really good episode. Definitely don't want to spoil it, uh, but who knows? Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit uh, in future episodes once more time has passed by. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely looking forward to it if we do that. Uh, but I mean, all that to say, um, the one TV show that I wanted to bring up for the podcast ritual was I finally started the Queen's Gambit. Everyone kept talking about it around me, and I finally had time because you know we didn't uh, we took it last week off uh, to finally start watching it. Um, so I uh, I got through two episodes so far. I'm loving it. Um, it's uh, you know a little bit different. Uh, I'm just kind of curious to see, and obviously don't spoil it for me yet. If you've if any of you guys have watched it in the podcast audience uh, out there. I wonder if the series is about to take a dark turn pretty soon. So I'm kind of wondering that I'll definitely find out very soon. Um, so yeah, definitely liking it so far. Nice. I definitely need to check out that show. It's definitely on my list, but for me, 
in the last two weeks. I've watched like Deadpool 2, rewatched Deadpool 2 again. I watched, um, what did I watch? I think I, I'm currently watching The Sixth Day with Arnold <laughs> again. Because oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm watching it with my brother because I'm like, hey, bro, you haven't seen this, right? And then I put it on and he's like, oh, yeah, we watched this before together. I'm like, oh, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, but the movie I did want to bring up, uh, it's another Christmas movie. Die Hard. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it is a it is a Christmas movie. I'm so glad you mentioned that because <laughs> I was just like, I was exercising. I was like, I, I really want to put a movie in the background that's just like pure fun. And I'm like, this is the perfect movie to put on right now. Die Hard. So such a good movie. <laughs> Yippee ki yay, my <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's so cool to see that again, but it, it's a bit depressing when you uh, watch another Bruce Willis film like that's recent, <laughs> when he's just like sleeping through his movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he was so good in that movie. Um, I like. I mean, since you mentioned it, you know, like the the main cop uh, in that movie, I always remember him from uh, being the dad in Family Matters, uh, that Urkel show, Steve Urkel show. Oh, okay. Dude, like, oh, that's where he's from. The yeah. the, the cop, right? Yeah, no wonder yeah. he looks so familiar. I didn't get a chance to look it up, but yeah, now that you mentioned it, I'm like, that's why he looks so familiar. Yeah, I think his name is uh, Reginald Vell Johnson. I, I I could be butchering his name, and I do apologize if I am, but yeah, he's he's the dad in, in uh, Family Matters, a show that I used to watch up, uh, watch growing up. Yeah, if uh, if we were doing a podcast episode on Die Hard, he would definitely win underrated character or just maybe even favorite character. Yeah, I could see him winning either or both. Uh, but I mean, do you, it's kind of hard to um, it's kind of hard to beat uh, Bruce Willis's character. Uh, wait, what was his first name? John McClane. John. John. I was like, I knew I knew his last <laughs> name. I was like, wait, what's his name? I was like, Jim McClane. I was like, this is not right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I definitely plan on uh, marathoning some of the, the, you know, the next installment pretty soon. Uh, but I'm hesitating because I've never watched, was it the fifth one? Fourth one. The the one that wasn't that good. No, it was the fifth one. Mm. The, the the last one that came out in 2012. I never seen that one. And I'm scared to watch it because I is heard it the, wasn't good. Is that the one where it's live free, die hard? No, the one after that. Oh, there's another one after that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's called a uh, a good day to die hard. I think. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds awful. Oh, you haven't seen it? No, I haven't seen it. I've I only got as far as the fourth one. Then I guess. <sighs> okay. I think fourth one is a maybe a guilty pleasure. I don't know. I thought it was all right. I was yeah. pretty good. Yeah, it definitely has a bombastic feel to it. <laughs> yeah. I think the last good though, uh one the last good one though was um the third one. Mm. I, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I I wanna rewatch it and you know do my ranking on that eventually. Yeah. Well, because I mean we recently watched uh Pulp Fiction. It was just nice to see uh Bruce Willis and Steve uh uh what do you call it? Samuel Steven. Samuel L. Jackson together. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Well, did they actually show up on screen together in uh, Pulp Fiction? No, right? No. Just uh, him and John Travolta. 
Yeah. Because he killed him. Vice versa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the last, you know, last episode that we talked about was uh, the prestige. So, and we did run a poll on our social medias. Do you want to tell us what the poll was about, Ken? Yes. So uh, the poll that we had run, um, actually, we ran it a couple of weeks ago, uh, was what is your favorite Christopher Nolan movie? And so um, the results were in and the winner of the poll and not really too surprising. Uh, the winner was The Dark Knight and uh, The Dark Knight received about 54 percent of the vote. And so, um, yeah. Not really surprised. I think Inception came in a distant second. Nice. Well, I I definitely would have voted for The Dark Knight because Inception is good, but I feel like if I had to choose one, the, it would have to be The Dark Knight. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. But if you want to participate in all, in our polls, uh, they will be on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook every Tuesday. So what's our handles? Ken? handles the handlebars is at weekly real and uh yeah that the spelling will be in the episode notes yeah and i'm pretty sure if you're already listening to the podcast then you kind of know how to spell, know, the, how to spell <laughs> weekly real <laughs> i i certainly hope so i hope so but just in case it will be in the notes <laughs> Uh, but this week we are talking about It's a Wonderful Life, the 1946 version. So, man, that is an old movie, man. Uh, so in in It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey had great plans for his life, but nothing ever seemed to go according to plan. Through divine intervention, he learns that life isn't about money, but the people he has around him. So, Ken, this was your first time seeing... It's a Wonderful Life in its entirety. Uh, what was your first impressions on the movie? You know, like uh, the first thing I uh, immediately thought of, especially during that first scene where we're in heaven, um, was I, I just thought it was very creative the way they portrayed that um, opening scene. Uh, because really, you're thinking about 1946 and the technology that was going on during that time. Uh that was probably like the best and most creative way to do it. And so that was like my first uh, immediate impression on the film. Also, the thing that I wanted to mention was that the two early flashbacks with George Bailey, um, dude, they were really intense and kind of dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that first, um, the first flashback, you know, yeah, George saves his brother Harry's life. Uh, but then he ends up getting a really bad ear infection, loses his hearing in, in his left ear, just like right off the bat. I mean, just what five minutes in the movie seems like. And then that Mr. Gower scene, I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. that was that was hella dark. I mean, obviously, you feel bad for Mr. Gower because he got that telegram basically saying that his son died of um, you know, of the flu. But man, it was just pretty crazy how they portrayed um you know, Mr. Gower, not only like verbally abusing a 12 year old kid who's, you know, just kind of working, but man, he actually physically assaults him like in his bad ear, got him, got his ear all bloody and stuff. So I was like, damn, that was pretty Mm. crazy. So, uh, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that, you know, they portrayed him kind of realizing that, I mean, he was really looking out for him and that he could have, he could have poisoned that little boy. And so I'm glad that they 
showed, you know, how truly contrite he was um, for um, George basically saving him, saving his life. Yeah, pretty much. Because later on, obviously, towards the end of the movie, we get to see what would have happened if he never caught the the poison pills from Mr. Gower. And yeah, he basically would have ended up in prison. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he definitely saved his uh, his whole life. But uh, yeah, did you have anything else before I jump into some of mine? Oh, no, no, go ahead. Uh, that, was, that was the last uh, first impression that I had. Well, the first impression I had just immediately right after the the movie i guess uh first thoughts was man george bailey has the has worse luck than peter parker <laughs> because because oh, <wow. laughs> I, I was thinking like spider-man 2 uh, the one with tommy mcguire it's just i feel like he's like down on his luck the whole movie and i'm like you know th- th- that i feel like that's one of the characters that he's always down on his luck and now looking at George Bailey, I'm like, holy crap, everything like that he wanted to do, he wasn't able to do just uh, because of different circumstances coming up. Right. And uh, another thing was uh, you watched it on Amazon, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I watched it on Amazon as well. And it was in color. And it yeah. was pretty sharp, man. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is pretty high quality, especially when we were um, when we watched Psycho. And it was obviously it was in black and white, but that was a creative decision. But w- watching this in color and in like high def, I was like, dang, this is, doesn't feel like 1946. But I feel like if it, if you were watching it in its original form, <laughs> it might be kind of hard to watch. Yeah, it definitely would have been very low low def. I don't know if that's the term, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, you know what? It's funny um, for those of you who may be wanting to rewatch uh, "It's a Wonderful Life" for this podcast episode. Amazon actually has two versions of it. They have the uh, color version and the black and white version. And Jeremy, I was really tempted to watch the black and white version, but I ultimately decided against that. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, uh, let's let's try color. But uh, yeah, sometimes the color, especially on George Bailey, he looks very tan sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, one thing I also expected from It's a Wonderful Life, because based on the, the description of, you know, the angel comes to George and he's going to change his life around and then we're going to see like his life if he never existed. I thought that was going to be like the whole movie. Literally, that description was like the last 25 to 30 minutes of the movie. <laughs> yes. You know, I thought it was at least going to be like through the mid midway point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they set up like the whole thing, you know, all the calamities and stuff. But yeah, I, I completely agree. I was expecting it to be somewhere in the middle. And I, and I completely forgot. I almost forgot that we still had that part in it. And that's how late it was like in the movie when, when we finally got there. Yeah, because I've, yeah, like you said, I totally forgot. Uh, usually in the midpoint of the movie is when, you know, stuff goes down and horrible things happen. And that's like the turning point of the movie. Uh, but even at, at that point in the movie, we, we weren't quite there yet. So I was actually surprised that we didn't get to that major plot line of the movie. Right. I mean, it, it kind of sucks. Obviously, the movie is what? 80 something years. I don't know. That, yeah. That, 70, 
is four. I don't know. Something like that, right? Yeah, 74. I think your math is better than mine. <laughs> uh, but it, it is pretty crazy. Um, obviously, we've seen it a lot in pop culture or whatever. But it's funny how we don't really know any of the deal because obviously we haven't seen it yet. So, uh, but I mean, we've all seen like snippets and kind of like references in different TV shows and movies. Mm-hmm. So uh, after watching the movie, did you have any like overall thoughts on the movie? Yeah. So uh, the the main um, my main takeaway actually was that I love 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 the storytelling aspect of this film um i thought they did an amazing job in portraying um how george just affected so many people's lives in such a positive way uh even though george like you said basically had to sacrifice his own ambitions um you know like i you know you feel bad you know like early in the movie when he's talking to his dad like you know at the dinner table he's talking about he wanting to see the world and to build things, design new buildings, plan modern cities, you know, like be an architect basically. And I don't know. It, it just sucks to know that he just ultimately got stuck in Bedford Falls um, when he wanted to see the world. And I mean, it sounds just horrible on the surface, but I'm glad that the majority of the film, because of the storytelling, um, yeah, he made his sacrifices, but, it was always for the benefit of others, whether it was his family, his wife, you know, his kids or, or just people uh, that that he worked with at the um, Bailey Brothers um, uh, building and loan building and loan. Yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Brain fart. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he oh, he always like basically put himself in other people's shoes and he basically treated people the way his dad um, treated them you know he was always looking out for like their best interest and, and i'm glad that that basic they basically had that um you know they had that pass from father to son and you could tell that the, the apple didn't far the apple didn't fall far from the tree uh, mm-hmm. i didn't want to butcher that <laughs> but yeah I, I just thought it was pretty cool just all the relationships that he built up um in I think Harry was the one that said it at the end that made him the richest man in town. So Mm. um, I just thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. The message of the movie is so good. I feel like it, it's a very relatable movie because he's like, he kind of represents like the every man, like everyone has things that they wanted to do or uh, even (laughs) maybe his uh, life is exaggerated. Maybe it's not. Uh, but there's always something that like you kind of regret or you're, you're kind of wanting more of something. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we forget that to look around at what we actually have. And, you know, he got to do that at the very end before almost taking his, his life, yeah. uh, and really see that he has more than he thinks. Yeah, no, I totally agree because, I mean, the, the the film did such an amazing job of portraying how life really is because, you know, it really, sometimes it, all it takes is just uh, to look at things a certain way, you know, like through perspective. And, you know, if you focus on, you know, that whole glass half full or versus glass half empty, I felt like for the majority of the film, George looked at things half glass full. He was always like, 
you know, making sacrifices. Yeah, he wasn't able to do any of the things that he originally wanted to do, but he always was po- positive for the for the most part until things, you know, obviously took a turn for uh, the, you know, I mean, they just took a turn, you know, in terms of the situation getting really dire. Yeah, because by that point where uh, Uncle Billy loses eight thousand uh, dollars, that's a lot of money apparently in nineteen forty-six. Uh, it's like a hundred thousand dollars, right, Ken? Yeah, it was over a hundred thousand dollars. I was like, whoa! <laughs> it's like imagine carrying that into the bank <laughs> in cash. Yeah. I know it was kind of throwing me off too. Remember when um, George was talking to uh, Mr. Potter about like his annual sal- salary, and it was like, "Oh, it was twenty thousand dollars." I was like, "Oh, just twenty thousand dollars." Then I looked it up. I was like, "Oh, dang, that's a lot of money." It's like, yeah, they. I guess he's not. In, they're not in California, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, but overall, for me, uh, I think. I caught this from two perspectives because I feel like Christmas movies, you know, are for like, sometimes they're like for kids. Right. And if I saw this as a kid, I don't think I would have appreciated this movie that much. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's a very adult Christmas movie. I don't mean adult as in like raunchy. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't thinking about it that way, way, but (laughs) okay. Yeah. It definitely isn't. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very adult Christmas movie. uh, But like, it's about like learning to be grateful and thankful for what you have. And I feel like if I saw this earlier in life, like as a 10 year old kid, I don't think I was like, and eh, the movie was okay. But now seeing it, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is, this is a really deep movie. Mm-hmm. But one thing I do want to bring up really quick is <laughs> the actor of George Bailey being like playing like a teenager or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like super old. It's like 50 years old. <laughs> That's what it felt like. And yeah, uh, no, it, it was pretty funny too, because when they did that flash forward after the first two flashbacks, and then they had that freeze frame or whatever, I was like, Oh, he's an adult now. And then I was like, Oh wait, no, he's, he's in college or like college age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was like, the, like early twenties age. And I'm like, is he though? <laughs> yeah, that kind of threw me off too until I was like, oh, and then they were, you know, they were basically letting us know. It's like, oh yeah, he's thinking about going back to college or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. Cause later on in the movie, it, it, it jumps time pretty, pretty heavily. Cause he does have like four kids by the end of the movie. So it mm-hmm. makes sense. And they, I think they even like what dyed his hair like white on the, on the sides a bit. Yeah. But yeah. I did. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that his bags were bigger too, like more pronou- pronounced, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it did throw me off in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Save here. Save here. Oh, so there was one uh, last thing that I wanted to mention in terms of overall thoughts, just really quickly. Um, I just thought that for a film that was basically heavily focused on George, I thought this film did an amazing job establishing all the supporting characters. You know, like remember at the very end when everyone's like coming in and they're making their contribution to help out George, I was like, oh my goodness, I know that person. I know that's Annie. I know that's Martini. I know that's uh, uh, Harry. You know, like there's, there's so many characters that were so unique in a span of like just two hours, basically. They introduced so many characters and each each one of them were unique in their own way. And you 
knew their names and i felt like i actually was a, um, at, B at bedford falls and so i just thought i'd highlight that just real quickly mm -hmm. and I, one thing that bothered me though at the end of the movie is like that eight thousand dollars did stay with mr potter though yeah, <laughs> it did. I'll get into that uh, detail in detail a little bit later. All right, cool, cool. Because <laughs> that bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually disagree. There's your little, uh, there's your little uh, teaser for later. Oh, okay. I, I want you to clear up that that quarrel within my mind. So hopefully you do that for me. I but definitely I, will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our first topic I want to bring up to you, Ken, is. I'm going to bring up some trivia about the movie. Just a, a few things about the movie I thought that were pretty cool. And I want to ask you which one is your favorite. So the first one I wanted to bring up was, uh, do you remember when Uncle Billy, I think they were having a party at um, the Bailey house, mm -hmm. right? And then he he was kind of drunk and he kind of stumbles outside the house and then he kind of walks off screen and then apparently like or supposedly walks into some trash cans and he's like, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, and all that stuff. Remember that? Yeah, I definitely remember that. <laughs> but actually, it was a crew member, like, it wasn't trash cans, it was actually a crew member that dropped a large tray of props right after Uncle Billy went off screen. <laughs> and so, and then um, Uncle Billy, or the actor who played Uncle Billy had to improv that, where he's like, I'm all right, I'm okay. Uh, and obviously it made it into the final film. So I thought that was a pretty cool trivia. I didn't, I would have, I wouldn't have guessed cause it felt so natural. Yeah. I honestly didn't know that until you, you know, sent over the, the, the outline. I was like, Oh, uh, actually I ended up having to rewatch that scene just to, to rewatch that. Cause I mean, I remember watching it the first time I laughed, but you know, it was like kind of a throwaway scene. And then, when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, I got to rewatch it. I was like, oh, that's so creative. Yeah. And apparently, like, oh, man, in 1946, they had to, because I, I would assume film would be very expensive. Mm -hmm. So when the things are rolling, you got to imp improv as much as you can. Uh, the next trivia I want to bring up is uh, it was It's a Wonderful Life was initially a box office flop. Uh, but eventually, you know, now that we see it today, it's very, um, you know, it's kind of like a tradition here in the U.S. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think they played on like NBC or something like that on Christmas Eve or, or around there. Yeah, I think NBC owns it now and they always play it every year. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it'll also make it to, to their streaming service, Peacock. I wonder. I wonder if they're going to pull it off Amazon then. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. Freaking streaming wars right now. I know, seriously. Uh, the last trivia I want to bring up is, uh, despite being set around Christmas, the film was actually filmed during a heat wave. Uh, it got so hot that the director, Frank Capra, gave ev everyone a day to recuperate. I thought that's pretty funny because it's a Christmas movie, but apparently it was uh, a hot shoot. You know, like when you sent uh, this part of the outline, I uh, I had then rewatched it as the uh, the second time, and I noticed that there were some seeds where it was like really really bright, and I was like, oh, this must have been the heat wave that they were talking about. 
Uh, do you remember when they were? Uh, I, I forget uh, who moved in, but remember th- there were like some nice um, homes or whatever. People were moving into like this nice little suburb. I forget the name. Oh of yeah, it. it was like uh, the the Bailey Parks or something like that. Something right? like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it seemed really hot that day when they filmed that scene, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy because. Um, well, do you have a favorite? Oh, I do. I do. Um, okay. You could definitely get into that point uh, after. But uh, I, if I had to choose between those three, it would definitely have to be the first one, the Uncle Billy scene, just because, uh, f- you know, it's improv, you know. I feel like the best scenes are probably mostly done through improv because, you know, those are more natural reactions. And, you know, that's basically how talented these actors are. And, I, you know, I only know this because I've done very little acting in uh, Time to Rise films and I'm hor- I'm a horrible actor. And so I appreciate everything that actors do, even the C and D actors or whatever. I'm like, oh, they're still better than me. <laughs> <laughs> and and obviously the best actors, especially um, comedic ones, I feel like the best ones know how to improv um, just to salvage a scene. And oftentimes it's even better than what's scripted in uh, when you mentioned that, I was like, man, I, again, I have to rewatch it. I just I actually appreciated that um, scene more. Yeah, man, because if no one if if you guys don't know that me and Ken have made a, a few short films on YouTube, nothing too crazy. But yeah, it is a hard, hard thing to do and definitely some movie magic and uh, acting is much harder than <laughs> than it seems, apparently. Yeah, well, Jeremy's way better at the, at it than I am. <laughs> well, <laughs> I actually took a class, <laughs> so well, I have no excuse. Go. There you go. <laughs> uh, but for me, my favorite trivia out of the three would be uh, the heat wave thing because I, I love movie magic like that. Because I can't imagine being in like because uh, George Bailey he was wearing suits throughout like his adult life, and I would hate to be in a suit like that. Where like a three-piece suit in a heat wave. Uh, and I would imagine they don't have like one of those cooling vests that they have nowadays on movie sets. Uh, so yeah, I, I love things like that where it's kind of movie magic and you watch it and you can't tell that it's it's hot. <laughs> Unlike uh, unless it's that one scene where that it's one, super bright. <laughs> only that one, it, was, it was the lighting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was my my favorite. Uh, the next topic I want to bring up is actually I want to make a confession. After watching the movie, uh, it didn't feel very Christmassy to me. Uh, did it feel like a Christmas movie to you? Okay, I will be honest. For a large chunk of my first viewing, I f- kind of forgot that this was a Christmas movie because there was a long period where, you know, like you're just you know, immersed in the story and there really isn't anything related to Christmas, but ultimately I feel like it did. Um, And here's why, you know, Christmas is always a time where it's always being described as being the season of giving. And I felt like in this movie, obviously George made so many sacrifices and he was so selfless throughout the whole movie uh, that, you know, when his situation became dire at the very end and, you know, obviously he almost kills himself. Um, Clarence reminded him how horrible life would have been like for so many people if he had never been born, you know, like that whole 
like realization that he touched so many people's lives. And so um, I just thought that just that part, you know, the, they, they focused on George's character of how, you know, how selfless he is. Uh, It's just um, it's, it really embodies the spirit of Christmas. And, and it also did help that obviously the climax of the movie happened on Christmas Eve. So. Oh yeah. Well, cause it did bother me. Like you are, I guess it bothered me. Not bothered me might not be the right word, but it, yeah, it didn't feel like a Christmas movie. Definitely for the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's basically recounting like his life. And I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, take because you get to see all the struggles of his whole life. And then it leads up uh, to the point where, you know, he has his family of his own. And ultimately the climax uh, is on Christmas Eve. And usually when I think of Christmas movies, they have like the Christmas music, they have the Christmas decorations around the place. But we don't really get that really until like the last 30 minutes. And, you know, there is some snow. But even mm-hmm. then, I don't see that many Christmas decorations. And you have, uh, what's his, oh, Janie playing Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. <laughs> yeah. On the piano. I'm glad you remembered his daughter's name because I kind of forgot. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I only remembered Zuzu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it didn't feel that much a Christmas movie because I was re-watching Die Hard and sometimes I was like, is this a Christmas movie? And then sometimes, and but they do mention Christmas enough that and have enough Christmas music. That I'm like, yeah, this is a Christmas movie. But it, this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, didn't feel like a Christmas movie to me, except for like the last 30 minutes. So it's hard. It's hard to say like for me when 30% of the movie is like Christmas. <laughs> Well, that's true, but I think it was just the central theme of of giving, you know, just being selfless, mm. and I think that's that whole thing that makes it a Christmas movie to me, um, because ba- basically George took what he learned from his dad and really to his mom, uh, from his mom, and he just applied that, um, you know, just you know, helping others. Like he didn't like he didn't rat on Mister Gower. He saved his life he saved uh, his brother's life he's you know obviously saved other people's lives in terms of you know donating i mean yeah it was mary who initiated but he gave his wedding money away just so that he could save the building and loan but also to help others you know it's like here's some cash um to hold you over while uh, we sort out all of our finances at the building and loan that's true you got me there um well, I actually want to bring up uh, our next topic really quick is because we we talk about the climax a lot because that's where the whole famous sequence happens when Clarence brings George into this basically other life if he never existed. Uh, so I came up with this question where if do you have a memory that is so significant that if you were to change it, something in the future would change? It, it, like something in your past, do you have like a memory or an event that happened that if that changed something like in the present or even the future would, you know, it would change something. Oh, definitely. Um, actually there, there were a few actually that I thought of, but I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to mention it on a podcast. Do you want me to go first? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you know what? Go ahead. Uh, well, okay. So 
Because I didn't want to, like you, I didn't want to bring up too personal stuff because there is some personal stuff that you just don't want to reveal to the world. Uh, but I think this is the first time I'm actually talking about it probably like publicly. And I pro- this is my probably first time talking to you about it. Uh, we were, I think this was a Thanksgiving party at, you know, one of our cousin's house. And, uh, you know, the whole family was there. I'm pretty sure you were there too. And on the TV, I just remember coming in and on the TV, uh, they were playing pumping iron. (laughs) (laughs) And if people don't know pumping iron, you know, Arnold is a big, that's basically like a bodybuilding movie and Arnold's in it. And I remember seeing pumping iron, uh, play on the TV. I've never seen it before. This is when I'm like probably less than 10 years old. And I'm seeing this bodybuilding documentary and I was like, of course, it was kind of weird at first. I'm like, dang, dude, man, why are these guys so huge? But I got kind of like enamored, like with the kind of like the training that they were doing and like the the discipline that they had. They had like, oh, don't uh, when after your training, they're all going out to eat and all that stuff. But it's like never like they keep them each other like accountable. Like don't eat that bread, just eat the beef. I'm like, that's something about that stuck with me. (laughs) And, uh, I kind of, that kind of influenced, you know, one, uh, kind of like my, my training in nowadays, but also, you know, if I've never, if I never saw that, I probably would, would have never got that into Arnold. And I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of his movies have have uh, influenced my movie viewing experience and my movie viewing like uh, life, I guess. Because I don't know. Without Arnold, would I be watching this this many movies? I'm not sure. It's so funny that you mentioned that. I actually do remember that Thanksgiving. Oh, my goodness. Do you want to actually know uh, the the behind the scenes story of that. Oh yeah, man, let's go for it. Okay. So, um, our cousin Elaine, we were actually in their mom's house or our aunt and uncle's house. And, um, Elaine, uh, our cousin, um, she has a birthday also in November. And as a gag gift, one of the gifts that she got was, pumping iron and so she had literally early you know when we first got there we were you know we we're just talking we we're just you know catching up you know doing what family does on the holidays you know just joking around we're getting ready for, you know prepping you know the food and everything for for thanksgiving dinner and uh we, you know we start talking about like some birthday presents that she had gotten and one of the presents that she uh shared was like, oh, look at this. I got this DVD of Pumping Iron. And it was obviously Arnold. He's hella young, but he's like totally yoked, right? And I'm like, oh my goodness. And, you know, th- I mean, you're much younger than than we are. Um, but we have this weird, we had this weird annual Thanksgiving tradition where we would just throw on the most random movies on on Thanksgiving and they have they always had a big screen too. Mm-hmm. And so obviously this was one was like, oh well, of course, you gotta open that and you gotta play it. And then so <laughs> that's why we were we were already playing it. And then that's when your family showed up and I guess we, the rest is history. 
Yeah, man. Who knew that that Christmas gift wasn't just a gift to Elaine, but it was a gift to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. I totally remember that. That's crazy, right? See, something so simple changes Mm -hmm. a lot of things. Oh, man. That's a good story. That's a good story. Well, you know, the one that I wanted to share, um, well, the one that I was the most comfortable sharing is actually... Um, a pretty major one because um, eight years ago in, t- in 2012, um, a pretty major event happened where I had, you know, for about a, a year or two, I had already been thinking, it's like, okay, it, you know, like I was at a job at the time for about six years. And I, at the time, I was already kind of in line to kind of move up to where I was going to be, ba- basically be in sales uh, for produce you know for an export company and i was hesitant in accepting it but it meant obviously a bump in in pay and you know that whole thing but i came to a crossroads and i wasn't sure what to do um and i ultimately ended up just taking a leap of faith and just literally quitting my job because i like the more I thought about, it, I was like, uh, I don't know if this is the place for me, and I just didn't like the path I was on, both professionally. I was like, uh, do I want to do this for the next 30, 40 years of my life? Um, but also, I didn't like where I was personally. You know, like, you know, I just wasn't happy with who I was. Hmm. So I ended up taking that leap of faith. I ended up quitting my job with no safety net. I didn't have a, another job lined up. I just was completely miserable. I um, was burnt out from you know work and you know work kind of consumed too much of my life, and so I feel like if I hadn't taken that leap of faith, I feel like everything that is in my life now wouldn't exist. I feel like a lot of like my close friendships that I have now, and I feel like a lot of them were built over uh, the previous eight years. Um, because I don't think I would have met people um, and crossed paths with certain people if I would have kept going in that same path. And I felt like also the extra time for those couple years where I was unemployed, but you know, just seeing the world, you know, doing a couple mission trips, uh, getting involved with church. Um, I felt like just coming across different people, I was able to kind of express myself more creatively to the point where. Obviously, now we have this podcast, Jeremy. Um, you know, I'm thinking about restarting my YouTube channel. Hopefully, that'll be coming up pretty soon. I felt like this whole creative side of me totally would not have happened. Um, and yeah, there are certain things that you know I wish were still around from around 2012. Uh, but I'm ultimately happy that I ended up just taking that leap of faith and just like, okay, well, I'm going to risk being poor and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I just thought I'd kind of share that with you and yeah. the podcast audience. Yeah. So would you say that if, if you never took this path, the weekly real podcast would have never existed? Yes. A hundred percent. It wouldn't even be a, a thought. I wouldn't have thought to, you know, start up my own podcast like uh, I was barely even listening to a podcast then you know like it was always just tv movies but then I wouldn't have done anything creative with it 
Mm, yeah, dude, that's a big decision. And I, that's very, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> yeah, dude. That I honestly, I think all the people that are cur- uh, currently around me now, I wouldn't know any of these people. I mean, I would know you because, you know, your blood. Yeah, but would it be the same thing? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. So that's a. Uh, on that heavy note, guys, I'm <laughs> just kidding. No, like <laughs> we're definitely grateful on how everything has turned out so far and definitely took took some uh, took the message from It's a Wonderful Life to heart. Uh, but one thing I do want to ask our audience is what is your go to mo- go to Christmas movie more specifically for the holidays? Uh, so, Ken, do you have something that you usually watch on the holidays? Actually, I do. Uh, but you know what? I will actually reveal that when I deliver next week's episode preview. So there's your teaser for later on in the episode. All right. Yeah, because I know what it is, but I don't want to spoil it either. But my go-to Christmas movie, Ken knows what it is, Jingle All the Jingle Way. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Turbo Man. <laughs> yeah, Turbo Man. There's a there's a mailman, you know, using explosives, and Arnold getting uh, accused of touching kids. It's a whole mess of a movie, but it's such a good Christmas movie. It <laughs> hey, was uh, this uh, Sinbad's most popular movie. Probably, <laughs> probably, without a doubt. Uh, but let us know what your go to Christmas movie is, and let me know if it's Jingle All the Way. So. Mm-hmm. Answer that real quick uh, on our email, right, Ken? What's our email? It is. Uh, <laughs> you can email us, right? Yeah, we, yeah. There's this thing called electronic mail, and <laughs> you could do that at weeklyrealpod at gmail.com. So, yeah, if you want to answer that question through email, it's right there. Uh, we don't have a P.O. box, but if you want to uh, tweet us, also at weeklyreal. So, uh, with that, Let's take a quick break. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's uh, let's jump in straight into our weekly real awards. Uh, the first one I want to bring up, or I want to give, is the Marissa Tomei Aunt May Award for what has aged well. Ken, uh, do you want to go first on this? Yes, I will. So my winner for the Marissa Tomei Aunt May Award is, and I mentioned it actually a little bit earlier, is the the storytelling. I mean, I went into kind of detail of why I thought um, the storytelling was just so good. But uh, just to kind of add to that, I just thought that it was so nuanced. You know, the whole movie, you know, they, they're basically p- portraying how life actually is. And, um, you know, it wasn't, unrealistic for the most part because you know in some of the most lowest of lows there are some highs and in your the highest of highs there really are some lows you know there's some like gray area and that's really how life is all about and so um you know the the example that i can think of is you know the the fact that you know early on george bailey has you know has to sacrifice his trip to Europe just to take control, uh, controlling interest of, you know, the Bailey brothers building and loan away from Mr. Mr. Potter. Um, because, you know, he originally wanted to just basically dissolve the whole thing. And, 
obviously he, when he sacrificed himself um his trip anyway you know he he did that because he wanted to you know make an impact on people's lives even though he that's totally something that he didn't really want to do uh, but um just to highlight one last quote it's from one of our favorite vloggers probably maybe even our favorite casey neistat i'm sure you've heard him say it story is king everything else is a slave to the story and so um the storytelling in it's a wonderful life is just master class for sure yeah that and i want to bring up the characters the characters like you mentioned before everyone stands out like uh of course, George Bailey is kind of like at the top of that pyramid, but everyone around him is so unique. Even Mr. Potter is that that very emphasized. He he's kind of like um, you know everything bad in life culminated into one person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's so memorable because uh, it's yeah, like you said, it's such a good story, and that the last thirty minutes of the movie is so iconic. And that mm-hmm. so many renditions have happened. I feel like uh, so many shows have like that episode where they even do like their own version of a, It's a Wonderful Life. Like, for example, I watched the show Arrow, uh, where it's basically the DC Comics character Green Arrow. And, you know, they have an episode like It's a Wonderful Life where, you know, go into a hallucina- uh, hallucination uh, we also like uh, they do that on Smallville. Like how many times? Oh, the the Lexmas episode. Do you remember that episode? Yes, I do remember that episode actually. <laughs> so it's very like obviously that's a it's a Wonderful Life version uh, in that show. So it's the the last thirty minutes is so iconic that uh, it can be redone in so many versions, and it never gets old. I feel I feel like. Yeah, I mean, just to add to that. There's one more uh, that I wanted to mention. Actually, I rewatched it after I finished watching It's a Wonderful Life the second time. I wanted to watch Chappelle Show's sketch, It's a Wonderful Chest. It's so completely raunchy and so different. But uh, you got to watch it, Jeremy. It's on Netflix or HBO Max. It's the third episode of season one. It's Mm. funny. Yeah, see, every, everyone has everyone wants a piece of that pie of the it's a wonderful life pie. <laughs> All different spectrums for sure. Yeah, for sure. That's that sounds very different. <laughs> uh the next award is the I am Groot Award for favorite character. And like I mentioned uh just a minute ago, George George Bailey is definitely the in the spotlight of this movie. So I feel like it, he's kind of like the easy choice. So I uh, we thought of a couple other characters. Uh, Ken, who do you think of as your favorite character? Well, my winner for the I Am Groot Award for favorite character. I mean, I teased it earlier. Every great story needs a great villain. And I got to throw some love to uh, basically the perceived villain of this story, Mr. Henry Potter himself. Um, I thought that he was um, he was really good at playing the villain. I mean, if you just think about his character, he really did stay true to himself. He was hella ruthless and greedy. He didn't care about other people. He just really just cared about his bottom line. And I just love how he kept the $8,000. You you mentioned earlier about, I was like, oh, it kind of bugged you. I was like, I love that he kept the $8,000. And he was fine with George getting arrested. He just wasn't, 
you know, I'm just really glad that he did not show up at the end and get to give that 8,000 back because mm. I don't think it would have been in his character um, to do so. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause they're like, it, like in real life, there are some bad guys that just get away mm-hmm. and yeah. not everything wraps up in a nice little bow. Yeah, well, well, I mean, just like um, I forgot what George's dad's name was. What was Mr. Bailey's name? Uh, I totally forgot. Well, Mr. Bailey. Remember, he was telling um, a young George Bailey about how he's, you know, he's just a miserable old man. He, he has no friends or whatever like that. Mm. And people like that are always going to be unhappy. Well, that's who he was, really. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I just thought he was a really good villain for the film yeah for sure uh and speaking of giving some love my favorite character would be mary yeah. <laughs> because i'm a sucker for like good romance especially mm-hmm. when the you know there's good chemistry between between the characters and i love their their story together from when she's like a little girl and she like whispers in his ear like oh, i'll love you forever george bailey and, and, and he didn't hear, hear, and he hear, he it. Didn't hear her. <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> I know that was. And she knew what she was doing. <laughs> yeah, she knew. And and then uh oh, one of the one of the good scenes in this movie too was uh the dance at the high oh, school when yeah. the pool co- opens up. I, it, it, even though it was so cheesy, <laughs> the dancing. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's dated for sure. Uh yeah. but the, their their relationship together uh mary and george i think was one of my favorite elements of the movie i totally agree uh the next award i want to give is the why is gamora award for favorite quote ken do you have uh, some favorite quotes from it's a wonderful life i do and and i'm glad that you set me up just perfectly because you know what the hopeless romantic in me and this is all f- uh this is for all the ladies out there my favorite quote for the Why is Gamora Award is when George was talking to Mary and they were walking home after that dance that you just referred to. And that quote where he's basically telling Mary, he's like, what is it you want, Mary? What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'm like, oh, that's so good. It's such an iconic scene. It is. It's so good. It and you know what? It it had this innocence to it, you know, it, it's pureness to it. And I love how it's you know just referenced in a lot of different movies. And the one that I wanted to highlight was when it was referenced in a Jim Carrey movie, Bruce Almighty. Do you remember that? I I vaguely remember. It's been a while. <laughs> Oh, you need to rewatch. Uh, you need to watch Bruce Almighty. It's it's a. I think it's actually underrated. I watched Bruce Almighty a lot, but did he actually like lasso it? Well, okay. So earlier in the movie, remember when he uh, finally gets he gets the god powers or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's he comes home and you know he's wanting to kind of basically hook up with uh, Jennifer Aniston, and then remember he throws an imaginary lasso around the moon and brings it really close. And yeah, then yeah. Jennifer Aniston was like, oh, my goodness, why is the moon so big or whatever? Um, so that was the first reference. And then later on in the movie, um, you know, when they're separated or where she, you know, Jennifer Aniston's really mad at Jim Carrey because, you know, that usually happens in real life. Um, <laughs> uh, he basically gets the dog to 
hit the remote and it plays that scene in It's a Wonderful Life about the uh. moon and everything because it was obviously a shared experience between the two of them. Yeah, that that line is so good. I remember just being in theaters and they would play or they would announce that they're playing It's a Wonderful Life. They would play that that little scene and that quote because it's so iconic. And uh, like you said, the, uh, the, the, the romantic in us is like, oh, that's such a good line. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I might have to use that one pretty soon. Yeah, just make sure the person hasn't seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I wouldn't even mind if they did. Because they know that it's like, okay, you like the classics. That's true. And, uh, but don't make, make sure if her name's Mary uh, or it's not Mary, make sure you actually, you know, get the name right. <laughs> yeah. Good thinking. My favorite quote would be when Clarence writes something in George's book at the very end. And he says, Remember, George, no man is a failure who has friends. And that mm. just sums up perfectly the message of this movie. And, it kind of hits hard, like when you when you're having those days when you're down and you're like, I wish I had more money, I wish I had more time, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, right? Like all this other stuff, but we remember just to appreciate the people we have around us. And I think especially in 2020, when we can't physically be around people, it's kind of hard sometimes. And uh just to remember something like that where uh to really focus on the people that we do have around us, I think is a, it's a good reminder. Uh, the next award I want to give is the Avengers assemble award for favorite scene. So Ken, what's your favorite scene? All right. Well, I'll take the easy way out and basically just say the end scene. <laughs> um, I mean, just because that scene just gives anyone the feels really. I mean, I, I think if you don't, get the feels during that last scene. I feel like you're dead inside. Yeah, I'm saying it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That scene is such an all-time scene. It's so good. Uh, but if I had to pick a specific part of that last scene, I want to just highlight the very end when Clarence gets his wings and then Zuzu's all like um, basically saying it's like oh it's basically what they were talking about whenever you hear a bell that's when an angel gets his wings and it was so cute it was mm -hmm. ah, so good yeah zuzu definitely definitely the standout of the kids huh <laughs> yeah definitely i feel like uh she i, I feel like she's an underrated character because remember he was uh george was always you know just wanting to make sure that he was in real life and he was looking for zuzu's pedals yeah, that was his totem. <laughs> that was. <laughs> Everything comes back to Inception, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, my favorite scene is kind of, kind of the opposite of yours, but kind of instigated that. I loved the scene when George Bailey breaks down and just gets upset at his whole family because everything Ooh. just culminated in that scene. And I remember when it happened because, like you said, there are ups and downs in life and at this point in life he was pretty okay like he was um pretty satisfied but then when this huge thing where basically he can lose everything he can lose his family he can lose his basically his whole life freedom and <laughs> and he just and he decided right like that his he's worth more dead than alive mm. and this scene was so good because you can see how heartbroken each and every family member was and he like immediately uh george was 
regretful and ran out the door. I thought it was such a good scene. Oh, I know. To lead up to the the iconic uh, uh, like yeah. sequence. We, we, yeah, with Clarence and everything. Yeah, and you know, you really feel bad for everyone involved, especially for George, even though he was kind of a jerk during that whole thing, just kind of just obviously yelling at his kids. I was like, oh, <laughs> it was kind of uncomfortable for a little bit. But mm-hmm. I mean, it shouldn't have erased it. all the stuff that he did, you know, obviously earlier in the movie. And uh, obviously he got a lot of prayers um, because everyone was concerned for his well-being. Mm-hmm. That was like the actor. I think his name is James Stewart. Did he get an Oscar for this uh, performance? I feel like he did. I did not look it up. Let me uh, see if I can quickly look that up. Because, man, like, he was so good, especially at the end. He definitely carried the movie on his shoulders, for sure. Like, he he had those crazy eyes when he was about to jump off the bridge. <laughs> and then Clarence. Clarence is underrated, man, for sure. Uh, he was a nominee. Yeah. Well deserved, though. I want to jump into our next segment, the Guess the Rotten Tomatoes score. So it's it's a fun, little fun game that we he- have here on the Weekly Real Podcast. I am up fifteen ten. Technically, I am the season one champion. Because how many episodes do we have in our season, Ken? Uh, well, including this one, we have three more after it. So there's only four episodes. Um, and you're already up by five, so I can't win. <laughs> yeah, so four points on the on the line, pretty much, in, uh, from including this episode and in the future. Uh, so yeah, I have clinched the championship for season one. But you know, we'll we'll keep playing for fun. Uh, so I am up fifteen ten. Do you want to guess, Ken? What what it's a wonderful life got on Ron Tomatoes? Yes. Well, before I do that, I think we. I feel like we need a championship belt. <laughs> I mean, we both like wrestling or we used to anyway. Uh, we should probably get one made up or something like that. I'll, I'll try to figure all that out. We, we could talk about that offline. Anyway, um, the uh, the tomato meter score that I think uh, It's a Wonderful Life got is 96. Mm, dang, I guess 94. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, because I feel like he was pretty high, but I did, um, before I look it up, I did, like, when I shared the trivia, right, it was a box office flop, so I wonder if that leads into anything of the tomato score now, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right, let's look. It's a wonderful life. Come on, there, how come there's so many? It's a wonderful life. Here we go. 1946. Oh, dang. It's exactly 94%. Oh, what? <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes with audience score of 95%. Telling you, I get closer to... No, we're, we're actually tied with the, the audience <laughs> score this time. But nice. This was the first time anyone's gotten the tomato meter exactly, right? Yeah, I, I think right? so. But yeah. uh, to be fair, I guess... Uh, the tomato count, like the number of reviews for the actual critic score, it's only like 85 reviews since it is such an old movie. So it's not that many reviews. But yeah, 94% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. 
I'm definitely not surprised at that. Um, I was definitely, I was like, it's easy 90 something for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now that we broke down what Rotten Tomatoes gave, uh, it's a wonderful life. uh, I want to give our last and final award. uh, I love you 3000 award where we rate the movie from one to 3000. So Ken, what would you rate? It's a wonderful life. Well, um, I would rate it. 2,772, which is about 92.4%. Uh, I really did like this film. Um, I feel like I'll probably be one of these people moving forward who will be watching it on TV um, and looking forward to it every every year because um, I don't know. I don't know why we never really got around to it. Maybe it's just because it's a 1946 movie and <laughs> it's not something that I, uh, I'm really itching to, to watch. And plus I just watched the same two Christmas movies over and over again. <laughs> so uh, this is definitely joining the uh, rotation. Dang, that's cool, man. Uh, I would, my score is a little bit lower. Uh, I would give it a 2490 out of 3000. So that's like 83%. I still really liked it. Maybe it's just my expectations of it's going to be a really Christmassy movie. Uh, but I do get like, uh, I get we, like the whole giving message and I, I really love the message at the end. Uh, I think it's a, ve- it's a solid Christmas movie for sure. Uh, so, but I'm excited about next week's Christmas movie, Ken. So do you want to share what that is? Well, next week, an eight-year-old kid gets left Spoiler alert. Home alone as he must defend his house against two burglars in the 1990 Christmas classic Home Alone. Uh, This was actually my all time favorite movie as a kid. And surprisingly, Jeremy has not seen it yet. So naturally, we have to do a pod on Home Alone, especially during the holidays. And you know what, Jeremy? It is available to stream on Disney Plus right now and still not sponsored by Disney. But yeah, how do you feel about Home Alone? I still can't believe well because uh, we've had Christmas parties before, and uh, we would you know get tested on oh Christmas movies, Christmas movie trivia. It's like and this segment Home Alone, and I'm like uh, I'm screwed because <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Home Alone surprisingly, and uh, I love Christmas movies, but I've never. I guess because it's Christmas, right? There's that only that small window of time to watch Home Alone. I guess you could watch it in the summer if you wanted to, but that's kind of weird. Uh, but yeah, so I'm excited to finally watch Home Alone. I feel like I'm really gonna like it. Some wacky hijinks. I feel like that's um, like shots fired um, to me as a kid because I literally would watch that movie year round. <laughs> so much so that I actually memorized all of the lines in the movie. <laughs> That's how much I loved it. I'm curious to see if I actually, cause I haven't seen it in decades. I think I haven't seen it in a while, actually. Um, surprisingly. Um, cause I mean, yeah, we've, uh, attended like, um, what do you call that? We've attended Christmas parties where we play it in the background. So I'll remember certain scenes, but it's not like we're actually paying attention to the dialogue. But yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how much of the movie I actually do remember. And I'm really excited that you're watching it for the very first time. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited to see uh, next week's podcast. And uh, so you can listen to all our thoughts on Home Alone, especially mine, because 
it's my first time. See, uh, who's the 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 actor for the kid again? Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, because I feel like it's gonna, I feel like this is a very iconic Christmas movie within the, like the last. I guess I I consider the '90s recent. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> In terms of Christmas movies, right? Like, yeah, it's very, uh, it's very hard to make a classic Christmas movie. Recently, it's like, what am I going to watch? Uh, a Christmas Prince, or I don't know. I'm Elf, throwing, man. Elf. Oh, Elf. That's yeah, a classic. That's like 2003, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's, Elf is such a good movie too. I, I probably watch Elf. Uh, like if Elf was on TV and Home Alone, I'm like, oh, I I can either watch Home uh Home Alone or I can watch Elf again. It's like I'll watch Elf. <laughs> but, you can't go wrong with either. Uh, those are my top two movies. Mm, yeah, I'll definitely watch it on Disney Plus, not sponsored. Um, but Ken, is there anywhere that they can follow you on the social medias if they want to? Yes, I'm uh, fairly active on uh, both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow me at Freakin' A. The spelling will be on the episode notes. All right. You can follow me at JP underscore Flicks on Twitter and Instagram. I'm even considering changing my YouTube channel to JP underscore Flicks because it's just easier to spell than my last name. <laughs> that's true so, only because well i know how to spell it because it's my middle name but <laughs> it is kind of long it is long jp underscore flicks is shorter than my last name <laughs> just my last is. name i think i think all the names are shorter than your last name <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> except for schwarzenegger <laughs> uh, here, right. you got me there i think that's why i think that's why you're a huge fan of this it's like oh finally someone with a longer last name than me yeah, relatable all right <laughs> <laughs> but on that note guys i'm looking forward to home alone and i'm hopefully as i don't think i've really gotten that spoiled on the movie i know there's a sequel and i heard that there's even a number three that is horrible um but i'm looking forward to seeing the first one so uh next week home alone we'll see you next time on the reels